This is Adam Puatic from the CRE podcast. I wanted to talk to you about the episode that you're about to hear. It was recorded just before COVID-19 became the omnipresent pandemic that it is now. This episode was recorded just at the end of February, and then it unfortunately got uh, trapped in our office, which was you know, responsibly shut down, as, as most other offices have done. But the content was trapped in our office. We have managed to free it, and we're going to release it now. It is great content. I want you to enjoy it. But I also want to set the context. This was recorded just before COVID-19 was getting going. And that is why some of the references might seem a little disjointed from the current reality. Enjoy. Welcome to the CRE Podcast. 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. I am Adam Puatic, sitting here with my co-host, Aaron Cameron. Our guest today is Monica Yurashanik, who is the CEO and co-founder of Ratio City. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you. Great to be here. This episode is going to be a little different than our norm. It's going to require a fair bit of explanation, not just for the listeners' benefit, but for Aaron's and myself to fully understand what you're doing. And we are going to jump into what Ratio City does in a moment. But to start off, can you describe how you got to this point? Sure. I mean, like all of these stories, it always starts in childhood, right? And I was an unusual child, and I was always fascinated by cities. Kind of I, totally normal adult, though. I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> I grew up in a small town, but my grandparents lived in Toronto and I always loved coming to visit them because I could come see the, you know, the big city. And uh, in high school, I would get a part-time job, work during the year so that I could take my summers and travel, you know, to Europe, backpack through Europe and see cities. So I'd always had this fascination. And as soon as I knew what the word architect meant, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I applied to architecture school. Uh, actually, I ended up taking a year off before starting architecture school to work on a construction site. So that was an adventure. My parents were terrified I was never going to go back to school. And I traveled. And then when I started architecture school, I really enjoyed it. Was able to work in different cities around the world. So I moved to LA for a few months. I lived in uh, London uh, in the UK for a few terms. We had a term in Rome. And so we were, I was able to really experience, you know, different cities and really, you know, see how the buildings and the building fabric within those cities evolved over time. And so especially when you look at the difference between a city like Rome and a city like LA, I mean, they're fundamentally different, but they are both cities. And so this fascination with cities was always, you know, I think the the theme that connected my career. So after I graduated university, this was about the start of the housing boom here in Toronto. So I was lucky enough to work for a couple of architecture firms here that were doing a lot of you know, mixed-use development, so mid-rise, high-rise type type work. And I was able to see this process of city building up close. And so, you know, Toronto's gone through this incredible housing boom in the last 15 years. And what my specialty and the, the, my favorite part of that process was taking all the rules and regulations, the zoning bylaws, the secondary plans, the neighborhood plans, talking to the stakeholders, the neighbors, the city planners, and working with a landowner or real estate developer to understand what the highest and best use of that site could be. And what it meant was, yeah, taking all these really abstract rules, applying them to a very specific site, and then ultimately optimizing for density. And then being able to test, you know, options and alternatives and iterate on a design until we got to a point where, you know, it was financially feasible, it met, you know, the spirit of the rules and regulations that were out there, 
you know, an attractive building that it would contribute to the streetscape and create, you know, spaces for people to live and work and shop in. And this for me was fascinating. And so I did that for about 15 years and I got to a point where I was really good. I was pretty good at this, but I recognized that there was a couple of fundamental problems and challenges. And one was even for a professional, the information that I needed was all over the place and it was constantly changing. And so the planning rules would change, you know, there'd be new studies, policies would get impacted. For me, I mean, I knew where all these documents were and I knew where all the maps were, but still I'd have to go to 17 different websites and download 25 different maps and figure out where the site was in relation. It was really quite time consuming. And in my opinion, you know, sort of a low value task. I wanted to be you know, solving those really challenging problems. Like how do we house, you know, 120,000 people that are moving to this region? How do we take these objectives that the city has set out and actually apply them to, you know, a specific site in a specific neighborhood? And so, you know, Ratio City is sort of a a result of that experience of, of city building. So you're working as an architect and you've acknowledged or identified this challenge or this issue with your business was there a moment where you kind of said, okay, you know what? You know, screw it. I'm doing it. I'm, <laughs> I'm jumping off that cliff and I'm, I'm going to oh, do this thing. Like- I am a very conservative person. I do not jump off of cliffs. The origin story was literally, um, you know, architects are notorious for just hanging out with other architects. So I had some architect colleagues, friends from university days over for brunch one weekend with our families and we're sitting around. And I was describing the kind of work that I was doing. And I was kind of laughing that actually what I'm doing is I'm taking abstract rules and optimizing for density. It's not architecture. It's not art. It's mathematical optimization. And computers are really good at mathematical optimization. If I'm not careful, some kid's going to come around with an app in a few years and put me out of business. And then what am I going to do? And a colleague thought this was actually really interesting. So I give him full credit to actually take the problem that I was describing and actually see a solution in it. So Aaron is now my, my business partner. His background is a little bit different. He had been working for a you know, engineering firm, but developing software for an engineering firm. So he had a background in solving, you know, complex urban problems through software. And what he was working on was crowd simulation. So if you imagine a crowded urban space like Union Station or an airport or a stadium, his software would bring in the 3D model from the designer, the architect, and then be able to figure out how thousands of people could move through that space. So again, super, super smart guy and had the ability to build, you know, commercial software to solve really complex, you know, also fundamentally urban problems. And so this challenge that I described to him, he found really, really interesting. I thought it was just a wacky idea we were talking about over brunch. (laughs) But the more we talked about it, and we talked about it for a couple of months and and thought about, you know, what the potential was, it got less and less wacky over time. So what he ended up doing, and again, this brunch was about three years ago now. So the spring of 2017, he took a leave of absence from his job in the summer of 2017 you for the know, purposes of exploring. For the, no, he would actually, again, it's, it's very kind of like the, the image of that, that hacker guy. You know, he just kind of took six weeks and just sat in front of a computer and just built our first version. So the software kids call it a MVP, a minimum viable product. So it's sort of like a... You know, As opposed to the MAP. Most awesome product. Oh, okay. Well, we're getting there. It will become that. But the MVP, again, Aaron built over the summer. When he came back in the fall, I started taking this MVP and talking to, you know, clients, customers that I had worked with in the past, people in the industry that I knew and saying, hey, we've got this thing. Instead of paying, you know, me as an architect to do these kinds of studies, you know, what do you think about this as a software tool instead? And so, again, I did a number of these conversations. I took 
hundreds of people out for coffee. I talked to anybody who would talk to me and I got great feedback, actually. I think people, you know, there are some people who got it, some people who didn't get it. But one of the pieces of advice that we got really early on was if we wanted to do this, we should run it like a tech company, not like a architecture or, you know, engineering practice, which again is what my background was. This was my entire goal in life was to grow up and be an architect. So, and just, I, so just for context, were you still yeah. working a day job at this point? So I had actually quit my day job, but I was going to start my own consulting practice. Okay. So, so still in the same vein. So still in the same vein, but at least I was self-employed. So I, so I didn't have uh, a boss that I needed to, uh, to make sure that I was punching in on time for. So I had a bit of flexibility. And so I was able to take those, those customers that I had as an independent consultant and use them to beta test <laughs> on. Perfect. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that was great. And so this piece of advice about trying to run this like a tech company, again, as an architect, I was like, what the hell does that mean? But we're lucky that in Ontario, we've got this great early stage tech sector, which is growing. And so there was actually a lot of resources out there. And um, I was able to take advantage of a lot of the resources. So I'm going to give a huge shout out to Mars, the Discovery District here at um, university and college. And they had some great courses that I was able to participate in to learn, you know, all the acronyms that the tech kids use, because the numbers and the letters that the tech kids use are different than the, the letters that I know as an architect or in commercial real estate, right? There's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole new lingo out there. So I was able to learn that pretty quickly. And then I had heard about a, uh, a pitch competition that happened out in, in Waterloo. So that was January, February of 2018. And I participated in a pitch competition. So it was a great opportunity to learn, again, the lingo, how to tell a compelling story in a very, very short amount of time. And I won. That came with a significant cash prize. And so that cash prize was then enough for myself to give up my consulting practice, Aaron to, to quit his job, and for us to make our first hire. So that was now March of 2018, and we were off to the races. So the last 24 months has been a bit of a whirlwind, I suspect. Huge. Uh, let's work backwards. When did you yeah. go live yep. with the product? So we hired Jonathan, who was our first employee, in, a, yeah, in March. By June, we had our first product to market that I was out there trying to sell access to. So that was 12 months from the moment, the brunch, effectively. Pretty much, yes. Wow. Yeah. And the process to move forward, was that just taking the MVP and putting it into a fully functioning? Yeah, so adding yeah. additional features, again, taking all that feedback and making an iterative process out of it, which, you know, as a side note, is very similar to what an architect does, right? You propose an idea, a vision for a site, you get feedback from the client, from the neighborhood, from various stakeholders, you take all of that, you synthesize it, you revise, and you go back and you get more feedback. And so we use that same kind of design process with the software product as well. So before we get into the next stages and what that looked like. Why don't you describe what Ratio City does? If I'm yeah. a user, what is my experience? Why do I want access In to it? In June 2018, when you're bringing your product, what are they, yeah. they yeah. buying? Pitch yeah. me, yeah. pitch me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, there, there's two pitches. There is the, what the product does for our customers right now, which is essentially we're focusing on the commercial real estate space anybody who's in land acquisitions. So we help aggregate information. So again, that same kind of research that I used to do, you know, as an architect or an urban planner would do or your development manager might do to understand a site. So what's the zoning bylaw? Is there a secondary plan? Is there a heritage designation? Where's the nearest transit station? Which counselor, you know, which ward is this in? And we can get all that information in one easy to access place. So we've got a really easy to use 
interface. It's web-based, so you don't have to go to 17 different tabs anymore. You just type in an address and instantly get all of that information summarized. But that's not all. I mean, fundamentally, what we're building is actually a search engine for cities because now we've got all that data in one place. We also can now search it in the same way that, you know, you can search for anything online. What we can do is now, you know, if we're looking for opportunities for densification, if you're looking for your next development site and you've got a mandate to find sites that have a specific OP designation or a minimum parcel lot size or a proximity to transit, we can now filter, you know, every single parcel in the city based on your criteria. So if you're looking for industrial zones, a site for industrial, for example, we can find all the sites that have both an OP designation and a zoning designation. What is an OP designation? Oh, just, sorry. Just, just, okay, okay. Wait, it's, it's official my, it's plan. Is that uh, very yeah. good? <laughs> planning points. Planning points. So what does that mean? So essentially, sites that have the right planning regulations in place to permit a specific use type. So if you imagine, there's a lot of conversation in Toronto recently about the yellow belt, that there is a large swath of this city is designated for low-rise residential uses, so single-family homes, you know, semis, that sort of thing. There are sites that are designated for mixed use, that are appropriate for densification, for for office buildings, for higher-rise condos, that sort of thing. There's sites that are designated employment. Uh, Again, the city wants to make sure that we have enough space for work opportunities within the downtown and, and throughout the city. And so there are sites where, you know, if you have industry, if you do want to build a warehouse, you have to be in one of these purple zones. So, And that's part of the OP, the part of the official plan. Part of the official plan. Exactly. Exactly. So, But hang on a second. Yeah, keep going. Yet. Sorry. Okay, my, sorry so, my brain's okay. going on a thousand. I got a but thousand wait, there's budget. more. But wait, there's <laughs> more. Oh, ooh, but that's not ooh, all. The hook. Here's the hook. Uh, okay, so we're aggregating the data, bringing it into one place. We're making it searchable so that you can access it to, again, strategically identify opportunities. And then we give our users the ability to evaluate options. So instead of calling Monica the architect, you know, say, hey, you know, I got this parking lot. I want to see what a 20-story building looks like on this parking lot. You can drop in a 20-story building on the parking lot and instantly see, okay, so it's going to be, you know, 200,000 square feet large. This is what it's going to look like. If I change my setbacks, okay, the area is going to go down you know, by a couple thousand square feet. This is what, you know, 200 units looks like. And you know what, I'm close to a subway station. So maybe I don't need one-to-one parking ratio. So, you know, based on my unit count, I can adjust my parking ratio and figure out how many levels of underground parking I'll need. And ultimately what it is, is trying to figure out what the land value is. And so the land value is a function of how large of a building you can build. And so you can then plug in a per square foot buildable cost for your land value. And we'll spit out the number, what that assembly or that parcel would be worth. Based basically. on what they're projecting. So it yes. may not conform with the no. current designation. But but you can model various scenarios. So you can model a very aggressive scenario, a very conservative scenario. And you know your reality is going to be somewhere in between. And because again, I, like, I want to make sure that we are thinking about building livable cities. And so some of the performance standards that you know, the city uses to evaluate these applications are, you know, we want to make sure that we aren't going to be building you know, dark, tall canyons on all of our streets. So we've also built in the ability to do instant shadow studies. And you can see you know, what kind of a shadow that 20-story building is going to cast. Is it going to cast a shadow on the, on the schoolyard or the park? And so even before you've got a building designed, you can get all of these numbers and understand what your constraints are going to be so you can build your pro forma. And then once you're comfortable with your numbers, then you go out and you build your, your professional consultant team and then you move forward. But it lets you, as somebody who's in land acquisitions, you know, get those answers much, much faster. And if you had, say, an awkward site, would the 
design, keep that in mind when you're doing the projected? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially we can work with any site anywhere. You could put multiple parcels together into an assembly. It can be a nice square. It can be a weird trapezoid, whatever shape it is. Again, and everything is, is customizable because I really do believe, you know, there are no correct answers in life or in real estate. There's just an infinite number of possibilities. And as professionals, our job is to evaluate those options and figure out which is most appropriate, you know, for my specific use case at this specific time, you know, given these conditions. And then as compared to architects doing all this, the mm-hmm. the analog way, rather first the digital way or the old fashioned way, mm-hmm. Is it faster or cheaper or both? Or what's the the proposition in terms of what you're doing? Yes, it is a productivity tool because it does take all those low value tasks that are quite time consuming and it does condense that down. So the kinds of reports that, you know, would take me a couple, you know, you know, a few days to do the research, to summarize it, gather it, you know, do the 3D modeling, you know, that would take me about a week plus minus a few days. I can now do in a couple of minutes. So yes, there's a significant time savings. But what fundamentally I think is even more valuable is this idea to be able to strategically identify opportunities to make sure that you've got consistency across your organization. So it doesn't depend on who you give you know, this early preliminary research to. You will always make sure that ever it's, it's thorough and complete and done consistently. There's value there. But I think fundamentally, what I'm really excited about building is this idea of looking at cities understanding that cities are incredibly complex. You know, you could describe them as being systems of systems and commercial real estate is one of those systems. You can think of transportation as another system. You can think of energy as another system. And starting to think about how technology can help bring all of that data into one place so that anybody who's got any hard question about cities, so whether it's how to spend our infrastructure dollars, where should we build that downtown relief line, What's that going to look like? How is that going to impact the rest of the city? Like once we can start bringing all this data into one place, we can answer even more complex questions. So right now we can help you find a site to densify. We can help figure out what you can build on that site. But I think fundamentally we'll be able to, you know, help city builders answer, you know, incredibly complex questions. And these are important questions because more and more of us are going to be living in cities and, like, like, you know, I really think that cities are physical manifestations of the society that builds them. And so, you know, what kind of a society do we want to live in? How do, do we solve the housing affordability crisis? How do we make sure that we can, you know, reduce our carbon footprint? How can we get people out of cars and into public transit? Like, these are all really important questions. And I think that, you know, technology can help by, again, focusing on those low value tasks and giving professionals the opportunity to evaluate those infinite number of possibilities out there to focus on the the most realistic, the most probable, you know, the way we can get some of the stuff built as quickly as possible. My brain goes, and I've gone in a thousand different directions, but let's start with your interactions with the city. Because I mean, it sounds like first you're using city data. And so maybe let's talk yeah. about what that experience was like, both in Toronto, where you've now gone live, mm-hmm. and in maybe other jurisdictions that you're moving to, and, and yeah. just how the city re- reacts and how cooperative they're being. But then too, on the flip side, it sounds like once you put this data into a readable searchable, useful manner, are they now saying, wait a minute, I could be a client of yours too? Like you've, you've taken their data and sold it back to them? Like can you talk about that Hells experience? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we'll start with the, the data. So, I mean, again, for our MVP, City of Toronto and most cities in North America have open data portals. So anybody can go, you know, Google City of Toronto open data. It's and, public, and public you, It's public. It's all public. It's all there. You are welcome to. And do you get like an API from them or? Well, something? you just more like a download button. But okay. so we just hit the download button and, and we collect that. And so Toronto's got, you know, a pretty decent open data 
platform. Cities in the U.S. have way more data. So I would say Toronto's pretty good, you know. But if you look at, you know, Miami or some of these other, even like Raleigh, North Carolina has got amazing data on their website. So again, this is something that most cities in North America have out there. So that's how we, we've pre-populated our platform with that data. And, you know, there's a lot of data in the public realm. And so, you know, when Metrolinx released the, the business case for the new Ontario line alignment, again, we're following that conversation. And so as soon as we see a map, you know, we can bring it in, clean it up, and we put it on our platform. So there's, you know... So the developer that next day when they're doing it, they can say, oh, look, that look, site I was just looking at, yes. it may, have a, it may yeah. have a subway station next to it yeah. in 35 years. Or whenever. We will get there sooner than that. <laughs> so we are actively managing data. Uh, most of our data comes from public and openly available sources. What a lot of our customers are also asking us for, though, is additional data. And so we're talking to third-party proprietary data providers as well to be able to get a bit more granular with some of these other questions that they may be asking, maybe market and sales data, maybe, you know, environmental contamination issues, you know, maybe the survey title information. There's all sorts of other information that'd be great to bring on. So we're having a number of conversations in parallel about that. So we are really happy to announce that we do have a pilot project with the City of Toronto Urban Planning Department. It started a few weeks ago. And yes, the idea is that we, you know, what we are doing is we are bringing all that data We're aggregating it and then we're providing it in a new form to different departments within urban planning. So again, urban planning, you know, I think that they've got a really incredibly important role both in creating policy, engaging with stakeholders, engaging with the community and managing, you know, this incredible growth that we're seeing. So for them, you know, if we can help facilitate that so that they're not stuck in the weeds having to look up, you know, secondary plans and OPs and, you know, site and area specific policies and all of that minutia. I like to think that this, you know, will make their lives easier as well. So we're in the process of exploring that. And again, you know, putting additional tools in the hands of the folks that are making the policies and thinking about, you know, how each neighborhood should evolve and what it should look like and giving them the tools to be able to test, yeah, shadow impact, built form impact, you know, instantly. Do developers, and this is a little bit off track, but I may as well just ask it now. Do developers use it as part of their submission saying, I've, I've, I've done it through Ratio City and here's all the results that have pumped out and I'm using this aggregated data that I know that you've been validated. And mm-hmm. so here's why I'm proposing this zoning. And So essentially, I mean, we are a really early stage tool. So our customers use us really early on in the process before they've closed on a property, before they've put an offer in. There is a very detailed process that is involved in the in entitlements. And so, you know, you still will need to build out your full professional team and to submit your full reports and, and whatnot. I think this is a really interesting opportunity, though, to think about that interaction between landowners or developers, you know, applicants, and then the government body that they are applying to. I like the idea of, uh, of our platform as being, you know, the equivalent of a Google Doc for city building, where, because it's all online... Once you've got a building that you like, yes, you can do a screenshot or, you know, generate a report, but we can also, you know, share a clickable URL where I can send that to somebody else. They can see it, spin it around in 3D, see what it looks like from their backyard. There's a potential for the platform itself to be a new way of communicating about applications. Mm. So either between applicants or maybe applicants and the community and, and, and the city. So these are all things that I'm really excited about. And so we've progress. Been, progress. progress. There's, there's lots of stuff to build. We're only two years in, which right. is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's go back. I, I'm sorry, we're kind of jumping around, but let's talk about that June 2018 when you're coming live and you gave us the pitch. And I think people understand why, but 
where I sit in First National running the operations, I get pitched sort of these kind of things all the time. And it's always like, you never want to be the first one in, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh. So how did you work through that adoption? And, and was there like a tipping oh. point when all of a sudden, all these people you've been talking to, they just all show up at your door at one time. So, okay, I want in. Yeah. No, a big, was... big name client. That kind of well, can... yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you want to tell us who the first big fish was that you caught. <laughs> uh, well, it was, it was hard. It, and again, my background is architecture. It's not sales. And so this idea of going on sales calls, like was, was terrifying to me. But uh, yeah, the messaging got better. And yeah, so we sort of launched in June. We actually did sign up our first customer by July. So that was... That's good. It was funny because they actually... actually It it, it is pretty good because they called me back. They're like, oh yeah, so we'll subscribe for, for two users. I was like, Really? Are you, are, you, are you sure? This is um, Ratio City. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, let me figure out how to invoice you now. <laughs> new problem. No, but it was good. Yeah, we were kind of closing like one new customer kind of per month. And it was a slog, but no. So we actually, our first customer was an architecture firm, interestingly oh, enough. That interesting. That's actually a related question is, yeah. do people view it as a threat? I guess in the case it's a compliment, right? Well, I think it's, again, you know, the only non-renewable resource that all of us have in common is time. Right. And yes, so I think consultants do have a different idea of time. And so for them, yes, it's an opportunity to be able to be efficient with their time. It's almost more of a business development tool for them. So yes, we signed up a handful of users over the fall of 2018. Was there ever a moment, because uh, I had this experience, we developed proprietary systems inside. Yeah. Every once in a while, you roll these things out and you know, yeah. the next day you get an email saying, uh, this doesn't work properly. Or, was there any of those types of hiccups where well, you're no, scrambling, because... work, pulling all-nighters, night, trying to fix something? Well, both, both Aaron and myself come from the consulting background where essentially the whole point as a, of a consultant is you under-promise and over-deliver. And so, yes, no, we, we never had any sort of major catastrophes. And no, we, we knew that. And we always do live demos. And so, yes, what you see is what you get. If it works here, if I'm showing it to you, it will work. work. It will work. No, so it was a tough slog. Fall was a tough slog. And, you know, I had given up my consulting practice. We had some money in the bank, but, you know, at six months, one employee and that money in the bank is going down and the bank balance is going down. And I sort of promised my husband that we had to get to a certain sales target by the end of the year. Otherwise, I'd go back and get either a real job or (laughs) go back to the consulting or something. And so, you know, we were getting really close to burning out. Yeah, we, we had about a month's worth of salary for our one employee left. And I was like, okay, we're getting close. And so the desperation kind of, you know, ratcheted up a little bit. And so I was like, okay, we're going to give discounts to people prepay in advance. I'm none of this month to month stuff. We're going annual contracts prepaid, but I'll give you a discount. And it sort of coincided with a few other opportunities where I was doing a lot of public speaking. And so, you know, getting in front of people. Um, yeah, I first discovered, heard about it on, uh, you were at a real estate forum. Yeah. 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 So again, you know, at the different forums and I did a demo as part of one of the ULI events. And so that was, I think, in the fall of 2018. And that we got a lot of interest from that because people were able to actually see the product, see how it works, see how fast it is, how smooth it is and how, how fundamentally we understood this space and how we could answer those questions that they were asking every day you know, in seconds. And so that was our tipping point that after that we were able to to convert that interest into a handful of, of new clients that all prepaid in advance for a year, um, which meant that we had enough money in the bank to keep our first employee on staff. Before we keep going, because I want to hear more about the sort of the growth trajectory, but just tell our listeners where they can go to look at it. If they're sitting in front of their computer listening sure. to this, what's the URL? Ratio.city. 
Real easy. R-A-T-I-O dot city. Correct. And again, there's a free trial button uh, in the top right corner. You're welcome to create an account. You can play around. Again, because we are getting a lot of data from open data, those layers that we are bringing from open data are open and available for anyone to go see. So if you want to see the official plan, the OP, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to do that after this. <laughs> All right. You can go check it out. Look at the purple ones. Look at the red yeah. ones. You can look at, the, look at yellow, the yellow ones. Look yeah. at the yellow ones. So sorry. I just yeah. want to get that in there. Yeah. Keep going. So, that, okay. so this is what January 2019. Yeah, so this 2018. Is there's groceries in the fridge. Things there's, are looking good. Yeah. Exactly. Your husband's not the you know, husband grinding you. Yes, yeah. exactly. No, and we did get a couple of higher profile clients. And uh, again, because it is all public knowledge, Rio Can was one of our early clients. Their development group, when they saw the demo, were super excited about the potential. This is about the same time that they had announced, you know, that they were going to be focusing on, you know, urban infill and purpose-built rentals. And they, so, they just announced Rio Can Living around that yes, time. Yes, exactly. Too, believe, yeah, right? so th- this was all at that, that, that same time. And so that was great. And so what we were able to do was to also then take this traction with Rio Can and others and say, you know what, we've got something here. We're getting pretty close to product market fit, but we need to build our team out. So we did go out in the spring of 2019, raised a bit of outside capital. And that was then also enough for us to to build out our sales team, uh, build out our tech team and keep focus on this market. So, So since then, we are now a team of 14 or 15 people. We've got about 37 customers here in the Toronto region. We are just about to gear up to launch in Vancouver as well. So we've got a Vancouver GM on the ground doing research, again, gathering the data, understanding the planning and regulatory framework out there, starting to talk to customers. And we're going to be launching that, again, fingers crossed, by the end of this month. So... And how's that experience with... I mean, you talked about city data and availability of data. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Toronto, of course. You're you're well entrenched now. Vancouver, same experience. Yeah, yeah very similar. Again, they've got uh, good open data. The layers are all there, uh, and so we're just looking to to make sure that not only that just like we don't put up layers just because they're open and free and available, but we want to make sure that we're getting the important layers. And so, if there are other factors that are important to understand for development, even if the layer may not be there, you know, we'll research it. We'll understand. Sometimes we have to create layers or interpret other layers, you know. Yo, uh, so how do you do impact, this has been a hot topic last couple of weeks and, and it was at Real Capital last week, it was it was a major topic, but climate change and the impact of flooding it has on, on valuation. So do you have a like yeah. a flooding plane layer? How does how do you work that uh, in? You know what? I, uh, yes, and I mean, for various cities, it's definitely important. We brought in the TRCA, although the watersheds, yes, various cities have different height or various uh, flood maps. I, I just can't remember what we've got for... Vancouver, but it's certainly something you yes. have to consider, yeah. right? Oh, no, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. You're Toronto, Vancouver. What's the third, fourth, and fifth Canadian cities? Are you going to jump across the border at some point? Uh, or? Yeah, we're looking at jumping across the border. I mean, what we're really interested in is, again, cities that have growth pressures. So markets within North America that have, you know, a net migration of people into them. That is so like going to Detroit is not attractive. Mm. Not so much. Yeah. No um, offense to anyone yeah. from Detroit. Well, uh, Just really not the biggest I mean, hotbed. Detroit's got a whole bunch of interesting things happening. Fair. No, fair enough. That's true. Yeah. Not the hotbed of development no. over the last decade like um, some other cities. You know, looking at the whether it's the, the crane count, the cr- construction activity, and low vacancies. Because in my mind, I want to go to places that have significant demand and, you know, look at those macroeconomic factors that impact that demand. So probably looking at, you know, Seattle, 
you know, cities in the Sun Belt. Uh, I'd heard some of our customers are active in Washington, D.C. So, you know, looking at, at cities that meet those criteria. And are there, are there competitors in the U.S.? I mean, they always seem to be sort of 10 years ahead of us when it comes to this type of thing. I mean, prop tech is, you know, a new asset class that seemed to just come out of nowhere in the last 18 months. So we, we timed it well <laughs> on our part. So there are competitors, you know, around the world that are looking at this problem. I think we're looking at it in a unique way. I think fundamentally we are a urban data aggregator. The analysis is the value that we provide. The ability um, to perform the analysis. The analysis. Yeah. yeah. And so again, right now we're looking at commercial real estate systems, you know, land acquisition is a problem that we're solving. That is one problem. There are other problems that we can also solve using our platform, but we're just focused on that one because it's, it's a space that we know and it's, you know, it's, it's an industry that we know that we can sell to. So in the U.S., you know, there's companies that are doing, you know, three-dimensional building massings. There's a group out of Scandinavia that's doing, you know, AI-generated site planning. There's some interesting things happening, but I, I want to just, you know, be really focused on cities and, you know, this idea of being able to aggregate, you know, complex data, make it easy to understand, easy to visualize, and easy for people who need access to that data to be able to make better decisions and interpret that data. And so I think that that's fundamentally different from the competitors that I've seen coming out. And that pitch would connect with a lot of people. But Aaron kind of alluded to Canadians being behind the Americans in terms of technology adoption. When you're out talking to people, are you ever surprised by groups that are just not in that mind space? It is sort of funny. You know, there was one group we went to pitch, you know, with our great, you know, web-based mapping platform and essentially on the walls of the boardroom, they just had these giant maps of Ontario with push pins with all their sites. I'm like, well, if you give me a spreadsheet of all of those, your portfolio, we can drop that in on a map for you on the interweb and you can see it as opposed to having to walk in, you know, and, you know, some people have all the leases for all of their clients, you know, in filing cabinets on the third floor. I'm like, well, I, I can't help you with that. But, you know, <laughs> once you've got data that is reasonably well-organized and reasonably well-structured, we can help you visualize it and again, derive new insights from information that you've already got. It's in an Excel spreadsheet. You can't see adjacencies. You can't overlap that with other data easily. And so that's what our, you know, our platform allows you to do. Like real estate is fundamentally geospatial. It exists in space. Excel spreadsheets are infinite. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> this, this is a self-serving question, but is there any intentions in the future to layer in sort of the f- potential financings when they're looking at a property? Good question, sure. right? There so that, there's the property. Give me a data this is what so this is what it should be worth. And by the way, worth? this is the kind of financing, and this is the, the interest rate you can get on that property. To. I would love to. I was, I was going to ask yeah. about any you know future features you had envisioned. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for sure. We bought it. I'll have your. List. I'll have the API built in the next couple of weeks. You for actually me. know what an API oh, is. Yeah. Oh. He doesn't know what OP is, but knows API. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew what OP was. I just got to think about my listeners and making sure they know they're following okay, along okay, in the you conversation. Can you explain to your listeners what, AP, what an API is? I know what it stands for, but all it is is the ability to send a, a data set to somebody else to be able to digest into their own platform. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, I am the non-technical founder. And so the way I sort of describe an API is like a garden hose. You can just hook it up to, to data at the other end and then just siphon it in on a regular yeah. basis. And have it mapped so that whatever yeah. I've got on my system is mapped yeah. into your system in yeah. the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's all done securely online, but it's just a way to make sure that you've always got the most current data at your fingertips. All right. Yeah. Well, 
good doing business with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so other than the uh, super popular financing layer you want to put in, is there other features that you've got uh, on the horizon or, or the technology catches up? You know, whether we're talking five years from now or next year, you know, when you're lying awake at night and an idea pops in, where, what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're looking at uh, building a residual land calculator, you know, a bit of a some basic pro forma type modeling, additional refinements to the 3D modeling, you know, the ability to, whether it's export out your 3D building differently. You know, somebody was asking about being able to 3D print it after you're done. I'm like, oh, I don't know, but that'd be kind of cool. Like, <laughs> what about, like, you mentioned RealCan. I mean, I know yeah. their big strategy is sort of more land intensification. So they want to keep yeah. their existing assets. Does it have that functionality where I can say these buildings stay, but I want to use the excess land and figure out what I can build on that yeah. excess land? So one of the features that we launched last fall, again, once our team grew and we had some more, uh, more, more hands on deck, was a bit more of a master planning kind of a tool. So if you had a larger size, or if you had a site where you wanted to retain an asset and you know do some infill on the remaining, we could definitely do that. You could do multiple buildings. So if you had a larger site where you wanted to do like a mid-rise on the avenue with some townhouses behind, again, our, our tools will let you do that. But fundamentally, I mean, what our tech team is building right now is this scalable, global, urban tech solution so that, you know, when we launched, you know, our Toronto product, it was for Toronto. So even if you're on our Toronto website, you can't zoom out past the boundaries of the GTHA, right? Like this is the only part of the world that the Toronto <laughs> tools exist in. But, you know, when we launch in Vancouver, you'll be able to zoom from Toronto to Vancouver and see both cities simultaneously. And so again, when we launch to the US, we'll be able to do that. And if we want to launch in, in Europe or Asia or whatnot, you know, our new underlying tech will be able to support it regardless of where the data is in the world. Again, as long as it's well-organized and structured, it will automatically zoom, drop itself where it belongs, and then make itself available to whoever has access the, to The that. scale must be attractive for sort of larger larger institutions. If I'm active in seven cities and you've got all seven cities and exactly. I can go, okay, I want to buy something and go, here's yeah. the parameters. And you go, show me yeah. the site that's got the best cost in these seven locations, right? Yeah. Out pops yeah. the answer, right? No, because I mean, the real estate is so location specific that it's really hard to compare apples to apples. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if we can start thinking about how technology can, again, aggregate that data and be able to compare apples to apples, yes, it would help you manage a larger, more complex portfolio. And would the goal to be longer term to be in top 100 cities in the world? Absolutely. Is that scalable? 200 cities or yeah. whatever the number point is. does it fall yeah. off? I don't even yeah. know. But like, yeah. again, we're yeah. probably not going to go to Scugog, but like, you know, we will go to, yes, you know, major urban centers that have demand for this kind of analysis and that, you know, are making significant, economically significant decisions, you know, based on, you know, whether it's infrastructure, development, housing, whatever the case may be. You need users and those users yeah. need to be yeah. developers. And so there needs to be development, yeah. I yeah. guess, is the easiest way to look yeah. at it. But again, like, I mean, we, you know, we see our users as being, you know, whether it's municipalities, you know, government agencies, real estate developers, asset managers, you know, the architects, the urban planners, municipal lawyers, anybody who's involved in this act of, of city building, you know, transit agencies. Maybe lenders. Lenders, there we go. Investors, you know, anybody who's evaluating, you know, anybody who's got to do some kind of due diligence, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Monica, this is super interesting stuff. I mean, definitely gets, you know, Aaron and I out of our comfort zone, which is, which is always a good thing. And the way this is evolving, it'd be super interesting to have you back in two years, you know, two more years of doing this and see what features have included in it, the penetration and various markets you've had. I'm excited to hear how hard it was to get extract data from the Mumbai municipality or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that. Right? <laughs> so we, we do want to thank you for, for coming on today. It is much appreciated. Excellent. Thanks. This is fun. 
And I want to thank uh, First National for powering the podcast. And I'll thank Aaron for a change for always being a good co-host. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.